1: Good morning, beloved family. How are you? I'm happy to be with you. I'm happy that you're there. I have a message for you. God loves you. And he's on his throne. And he's in control of all things. But he gives us free will. So why he has allowed free will to reign, evil to reign. Um, uh, Romans chapter 1 tells us why, that Uh, Men grew so evil that God left them to their own devices, their own fallenness without his spirit, in order that we could see the depth of evil we could reach without God. And God is allowing it to purify his church. And um, um, there's uh, unlimited evil, unlimited evil, and it's growing worse every, every single day. But God is on his throne. We are his beloved And what we need to do is be holy, follow him, shine as lights in this dark, depraved world, hug your family, love your spouse, and worship God together. That's what we need to do. We need to follow our vocation if all the world does not follow theirs. We have been reading from um, Bishop Fulton Sheen, who you just heard at the break. He's so, so magnificent. Victory Over Vice, published by Sophia Press, by Archbishop Fulton Sheen. And what he has done is taken the seven last words of of our Lord from the cross, which we would do well to study during this Lenten season. And he has attached a particular vice for each of those words Um, and, and the beginning explanation on the back cover says, Fulton Sheen claims that since all seven deadly sins led Christ's enemies to nail him to the cross, we can find in the example of his suffering and death sure means to overcome each of those sins plus the key to understanding and nurturing in our own soul each corresponding virtue. We covered anger, there's so many more things I'd like to tell you today, but I want to get through this book with you during Lent because it is, we're reading it at night as a comu- as a community. It's so beautiful. Today is Ember Wednesday. Uh, this is Ember week um, and of the spring season, and we are to fast and do penance at second-class feast today, Friday, and Saturday. And I would um, urge you, if you wish to find out more, it, it's traditional, Israel had at least four fasts of the year to thank God for the seasons, for the produce, for all that he gives us. And we have done the same. Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday of Ember Week are days of penance and fasting in thanksgiving for all that God has done. If you want a full explanation of that, look up the website, Fish Eaters, one word, Fish Eaters, just the way it sounds. And then um, uh, type in... um, uh, ember days, and you'll get the full explanation for them. But right now, <clears throat> I'd like to return to envy. We started the the first word of the cross is, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And the vice matched to that is anger. The second word of the cross today, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And the vice is Envy. I would think the unrepentant thief was filled with envy at the repentant thief. And we started yesterday, but very late. So I'm going to start from the beginning today and see how far we'll get. Envy is sadness at another's good and joy at another's evil. What rust is to iron, what moths are to wood, what termites are to wood, that envy is to the soul, the assassination of brotherly love. We are not here concerned with just envy and zeal, which inspires us to emulate good example and to progress with those who are our betters. Um, for the scriptures join us to be zealous for spiritual gifts. Rather, we here touch on that sinful envy, which is a willful grieving at another's good, either spiritual or temporal, for the reason that it seems to diminish our own good. The honor paid to another is regarded by the envious man as a reflected disgrace on himself, and he is sad in consequence. Envy manifests itself in discord, in hatred, in malicious joy, backbiting, detraction, um, imputing of evil motives, jealousy, and calumny. A simple... Uh, a sample, rather, of this kind of envy we find in one of the two women who asked Solomon to adjudicate their dispute. The first woman said, I and this woman dwell in one house, and this woman's child died in the night, for in her sleep she overlaid him. And rising in the dead... Time of the night, she took my child from my side while I, thy handmaid, was asleep, and laid her dead child in my bosom. To which the other woman answered, "It is not as thou sayest, but my child, my thy child is dead and mine is alive." Since there were no witnesses, Solomon ordered a sword to be brought to him, for he rightly judged that the motherly heart of the real mother would rather give up her child than see him killed brandishing the glittering sword he said divide the living child in two and give half to the one and half to the other hearing this the woman whose child was alive cried out in terror and pity i beseech thee my lord give her the child alive and do not kill it but the other said let it be neither mine nor thine but divide it Then the king commanded that the child be given to her, who would rather give him up to another than have him killed, knowing that she must be the mother. The point of the story is that envy, which is so jealous of the good of another, may reach a point where it scruples not to take a life. In our times, envy has taken on an economic form. The avarice of the rich is being matched by the envy of the poor. Some poor hate the rich, not because they have unjustly stolen their possessions, but because they want their possessions. Certain have-nots are scandalized at the wealth of the haves, only because they are tempted by lust for their possessions. They envy the rich not because of their need, but because of their greed. Combined with this is social envy or snobbery, which sneers at the higher position of others, because the snobs want to sit in their chairs and envy their applause. They assume that in not arriving at such popular favor themselves, they were deprived of their due. That is why we hate those who do not pay sufficient attention to us and why we love those who flatter us. If envy is on the increase today, it is undoubtedly, as it undoubtedly is, it is because of the surrender of the belief of a future life and rightness um, and righteous divine judgment. If this life is all, they think they should have all. From that point, envy of others becomes their rule of life. Our Lord was unceasing in his preaching against envy. To those who were envious of the mercy extended to the lost sheep, he pictured the angels of heaven rejoicing more at one sinner doing penance than at the 99 just who needed not penance. To those who were envious of wealth, he warned, Lay not up your treasures on earth where moss and rust rust and moth corrupt and consume, and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up your treasures in heaven, where neither the rust nor moth consume, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. When he encountered those who were envious of power, such as the apostles quarreling over first place, he placed a child in the midst of them, and putting his arms around them, reminded them that heaven was open only to those who were as simple children, for Christ is not in the great, but in the little. Quote, "'Whosoever shall receive one such child as this in my name,' Receiveth me, and whoever shall receive me, receive not me, but him that sent me. But Christ's preaching against envy did not save him from the envious. Pilate was envious of his power, Annas was envious of his innocence, Caiaphas was envious of his popularity, Herod was envious of his moral superiority. The scribes and Pharisees were envious of his wisdom. Each of these had built his judgment, his judgment seat of mock moral superiority, from which no sentence morality, from which two sentence morality capital M to the cross. And in order that he might no longer be a person to be envied, they reputed him with the wicked. Born between an ox and an ass, They now crucified him between two criminals. That was the last insult they could give him. To the public eye, they created the impression that three thieves and not two were silhouetted against the sky. In a certain sense, it was true. Two stole gold out of avarice. One stole hearts out of love. Salvandus Salvator and salvatus the thief who could have been saved the thief who was saved and the savior who saved them the crosses spelled out the words envy mercy and pity this is so rich beloved it shows us the depth of our heart because of god's mercy who would show us that to lead us to heaven we'll be right back beloved don't go away
0: Day from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern, the Station of the Cross brings you Mother Miriam Live. Mother Miriam is a Catholic nun on a mission to bring Jesus and a message of hope to a world that has lost its way.
1: Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, and I am thrilled to welcome you to Mother Miriam Live. As always, you're going to be able to call, text, or email whatever your questions are. Through a partnership between the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News, you will be able to listen and watch Mother Miriam Live on YouTube and Facebook at the Station of the Cross, including past episodes on podcasts. God bless you.
0: Listen on your local Station of the Cross affiliate and our free iCatholic Radio mobile app or watch the Mother Miriam Live video stream on Facebook and YouTube by searching The Station of the Cross. That's Mother Miriam live each weekday from 10 to 11 a.m. Eastern on The Station of the Cross.
1: We are one family under God, and we are his and nothing earth, nothing can separate from the love of God. Nothing no no power above the earth, in the earth, under the earth. Romans chapter eight can separate us from the love of God. Can we be separated from the love of God? Yes. The only one that can do that is ourselves. We are we are Um, we are sacrifices. We are to present our body a holy sacrifice, which is our reasonable spirit of uh, service of worship. In the Old Testament, the sacrifices were dead. They had no power. They could do nothing. In the New Testament, under the new dispensation, in the new covenant, us, we are living sacrifices who tend to crawl off the altar. Don't crawl. Stay there. Stay on the altar. Nothing and no one except your free will to turn from God could ever separate you from Him. We are reading Victory Over Vice and the vices that we have that can certainly separate us from God. They are grave, grave sins, um, and um, but God is here to forgive us through repentance. Um, and so Bishop Sheen is taking our Lord's seven words from the cross and attaching A um, a mortal uh, one deadly sin to each of the seven deadly sins to the seven last words and we're on the second word today this day thou shalt be with me in paradise and Bishop Sheen has attached envy to that and we continue reading the thief on the left envied the power our blessed Lord claimed as the chief priests, scribes and ancients um ridiculed the Saviour, sneering. He saved others. Him himself he cannot save. The thief on the left added to their revilings. If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. In other words, he would say, <clears throat> if I had that power of yours, that power you claim on uh, as the Messiah, I would use it differently than to hang helpless on a tree. I would step down from the cross, smite my enemies, and prove what power really is. Thus did envy reveal that if it had the gifts it envies in others, it would misuse them, as the thief on the left would have surrendered redemption from sin for release from a nail. In like manner, many in the world today who are envious of wealth would probably lose their souls if they had that wealth. Envy never thinks of responsibilities. Looking only to self... It misuses every gift that comes its way. Pity has quite a different effect on the soul. The thief on the right had no envy of the master's power, but only pity for the master's sufferings, rebuking his companion on the left. The good thief said, "'Neither dost thou fear God, seeing that thou art under the same condemnation?' And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done no evil. There was not a spark of envy in him. He wanted nothing in all the world, not even to be removed from tragic companioning with his cross. He was not envious of God's power, for God knows best what to do with his power. He was not envious of his fellow men, for they had nothing worth giving. So he threw himself upon divine providence and asked only for forgiveness. Lord, remember me when thou shalt come into thy kingdom. A dying man asked a dying man, capital M, for life. A man without possessions asked a poor man, capital M, for a kingdom. A thief at the door of death asked to die, a thief, and steal paradise. And because he envied nothing, he received all. Amen. I say to thee, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. One would have thought a saint would have been the first soul purchased over the counter at Calvary by the red coins of redemption. But in the divine plan, it is a thief who steals that privilege and marches as the escort of the King of Kings into paradise. Two lessons are taught us by this second word from the cross. The first is that envy is the source of our wrong judgments about others. The chances are that if we are envious of others nine times out of ten, we will misjudge their characters because the thief on the left was envious of the power of our lord he misguided he misjudged him and missed both the divinity of the savior and his own salvation he falsely argued that power should always be used the way he would have used it namely to turn nails into rosebuds a cross into a throne blood into royal purple and the blades of grass on the hillside into bayonets of a fence of steel. <clears throat> Excuse me. No one in the history of the world ever came close closer to redemption, and yet no one, ever, no one ever missed it by so far. His envy made him ask for the wrong thing. He asked to be taken down when he should have asked to be taken up. It makes one think of how much of the envy of Herod resulted in an equally false judgment. He massacred the innocents because he thought the infant king came to destroy an earthly kingdom, whereas he came only to announce a heavenly one. So it is with us, backbiting, calumny, false judgments are all born of our envy We say, oh, he is jealous or she is jealous, but how do we know that he or she is jealous unless we ourselves have felt that way? How do we know others are acting proudly unless we know how pride asserts itself? Every envious word is based on a false judgment of our own moral superiority. To sit in judgment makes us feel that we are above those who are judged and more righteous And more innocent than they. To accuse others is to say, I am not like that. To be envious of others is to say, you have stolen that which is mine. Envy of others' wealth has resulted in the gross misjudgment that the best way to do away with its abuse in the hands of the rich is to dispossess them violently so that the dispossessors may, in their turn, enjoy its abuse. That's what's happening on our streets all over our country today. Through the riots, envy of others' political power has given rise to the erroneous philosophy that even governments may be overthrown if organized violence is strong enough to do so. Envy thus becomes the denial of all justice and love, In individuals, it develops a cynicism that destroys all moral values. For by by bankrupting others, we ourselves become bankrupt. In groups, it produces a deceit that extends the glad hand of welcome to those who differ only until they are strong enough to cut it off. It's almost a picture of what's happening in our country today. Since envy, envy is so rampant in the world today, it is extremely good counsel to disbelieve 99% of the wicked statement we hear about them, the statements we hear about others. Think of how much the thief on the right had to discount to arrive at the truth. He had to disbelieve the judgment of four envious judges the raillery of envious scribes and ancients, the blasphemous utterances of curious onlookers who loved murders, who loved murders, and the envious taunts of the thief on the left who was willing to lose his soul if only he could keep his finger nimble for more theft. But if he had been envious of the Lord's power, he would never have been saved. He found peace by disbelieving the envious scandal-mongers. Our peace is found in the same incredulity. Don't believe those around you, beloved. Don't believe them. Believe God. The chances are that there is a bit of jealousy, a bit of envy, behind every cutting remark and barbed whispering we hear about our neighbor. It is always good to remember that there are always more sticks under the tree that has the most apples. There should be some consolation for those who are so unjustly attacked to remember that it is, it is a physical impossibility for any man to get ahead of us who stays behind to kick us. Good one, huh? A second lesson to be learned from this second word is that the only way to overcome envy is, like the thief on the right, to show pity. As Christians in good faith, we are all members of the mystical body of Christ and should therefore love one another as Christ has loved us. If our arm suffers an injury, our whole body feels the pain. In like manner, if the church in any part of the world suffers martyrdom, We should feel pity toward it as part of our body. And that pity should express itself in prayer and good works. Pity should be extended not only to those outside the church who are living as if the earth never bore a cross, but even to the enemies of the church who would destroy even the shadow of the cross. God is their judge, not we. And as potential brothers of Christ, sons of a heavenly father, and children of Mary, they must be worth our pity, since they were worth the Savior's blood. Unfortunately, there are some who blame the church for receiving great sinners into the church on their deathbeds. A few years ago, One who was generally believed to be a racketeer and murderer met death at the hands of his fellow criminals. A few minutes before his death, he asked to be received into the church, was baptized, received first communion, and was anointed and given the last blessing. Some who should have known better protested against the church. Imagine envy at the salvation of a soul. Why not rather rejoice in God's mercy? For after all, he did not belong to the same profession as the—sorry. Uh, for after all, did he not belong to the same profession as the thief on the right? And why should not our Lord be just as anxious to save twentieth-century thieves as first-century thieves? They both have souls. It would seem that sinful envy of the salvation of a thief is a greater sin than thievery. Oh dear, we're just about finished. Just about finished. But we will finish tomorrow, beloved, just in the first segment. There's the music for our our break, and we will take your calls, your emails, your texts when we come back from the break. Call in, beloved, toll-free, 1-877-511-511. 5483, or email at mother at com. We'll be right back.
2: LifeSight News is an international news agency devoted to defending life and family and restoring Christian culture. We aim to educate and activate our readers with the information they need to fight the most crucial battles of our day, in their churches, workplaces, and families. Our motto is Caritas in Veritate, love in truth. We firmly believe that promoting the truth is an act of love, however hard it is to hear. Over the last 20 years, we have built a reputation for uncompromising reporting, no matter the cost. LifeSite News is by far the most popular pro-life website on the Internet, with over 40 million unique users every year and growing. Check us out at LifeSiteNews.com. Hello, beloved.
1: This is Mother Miriam you like to wake up each morning to inspiring sermons from knowledgeable and faith-filled priests? You can tune in to sermons for everyday living every day at 6 a.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. You can listen on the stationofthecross.com or anytime on the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. God bless you. The Station of the Cross appreciates the generosity of our supporters. We are committed to keeping our donors' accounts up to date. If there have been changes made to your payment information, please call us so that we can update your account. 1-877-888-6279, extension 104. Or update your information online at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, dearest family, to the Mother Miriam live on the Station of the Cross and LifeSite News. I'm so thrilled to be with you. This is our half hour together. We have been reading the second from uh, Bishop Fulton, Archbishop Fulton Sheen's book, Victory Over Vice. We've been reading um, from the second word of the cross, uh, um, which Bishop Sheen connected to the, um, the evil of envy this day Thou shalt be with me in paradise, and those who would have been listening on probably would have been filled with envy. so we've been speaking about the two thieves on the cross, the the unrepentant thief who envied, and the repentant thief who had no envy and was saved. And uh, I'm going to... There's just a page left. I can't leave this for tomorrow. One page left and we don't have a caller yet. Let me read it. One thief was saved, therefore let no one despair. One thief was lost, therefore let no one presume. Have pity then on the miserable and divine mercy will be the reward for your pity. When the Pharisees accused our Lord of eating with publicans and sinners... He retorted by reiterating the necessity of mercy. Quote, the healthy have no need for a physician, for the sick have. Now go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For I am not come to call the just, but sinners. One day a woman went to the saintly Father John Vianney, the curé of ours, in France, and said... <clears throat> "'My husband has not been to the sacraments "'or to Mass for years. "'He has been unfaithful, wicked, and unjust. "'He has just fallen from a bridge and was drowned, "'a double death of body and soul. "'The curé answered, "'Madam, there is a short distance "'between the bridge and the water, "'and it is that distance which forbids you to judge. "'Isn't that amazing?' two quick paragraphs left. There was just that distance between the two crosses which saved the penitent thief. If the thief on the right had been self-righteous, he would have looked down on Jesus and lost his soul. But because he was conscious of his own sin, he left the room for divine pardon. He left room for divine pardon. And the answer of the Redeemer to his request request proves that to the merciful, love is blind. For if we love God and our neighbor, who may even be our enemy, divine love will go blind, as it did for the thief on the right. Christ will no longer be able to see our faults, and that blindness will be for us the dawn of the vision of love with a capital L. I wish I could memorize every one of Bishop Sheen's words. They're so, so fabulous. Um, We have Marion from Flora on the line. Hello, Marion.
3: Hi, Mother Miriam. I'm so thankful that you're there and that you're offering this kind of guidance because it is truly inspirational. Um, truthfully, I went to Catholic high school, um, but I was brought up as an Episcopalian, and um, I never truly understood. I mean, although I loved, I, I studied philosophy, and then uh, I also have read many of the saints, and now, all of a sudden, I have this great interest in becoming a Catholic.
1: Wow, so, um <laughs> That's wonderful, Mary, and that's God's work in your heart.
3: Thank you, dear. Thank you, thank you. So your guidance to me is so wonderful. It's so excellent um, because I have so many questions. I just wondered, uh, for fasting, how do you do that? Um, Do you start the night before, or do you start early in the morning, and are you allowed to drink water? Like, exactly how do you do your fast?
1: Well, we do it in different ways here at the Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope, but the Church recommends that fasting um, uh, is one uh, one meal a day and maybe two snacks that don't amount to a meal. That's basically fasting, and um, it, it's rare that it starts the night before so. You can fast. You can fast from the vigil, from the evening before, right? When I grew up, um, Marion, in my Jewish faith, fasting meant we didn't even take water unless we really had to. We fasted from everything. But the church is a bit soft on that. Um, It used to be that um, fasting began at midnight before you would receive our Lord in the Eucharist the next day. Now it's just an hour from reception of communion. So the church has been very, very soft, and and I, I think um, in many ways it's done us a great deal of damage that we have very little perseverance. But um, the fasting can be totally up to you. You can fast from, um, again, if you want to adhere to the church's fasting on fast days, then just one meal a day and two snacks that don't uh, amount to a meal that would be that would be the the, the issue there um, but you can fast as much as you want if you want to fast and only have water bread and water for the day our lady if uh, has recommended that in some of her apparitions to fast on bread and water you're welcome to do that um, you can fast. St. Francis de Sales, when he formed his order of the visitation of Holy Mary, would have his sisters fast at every meal from something. For example, not to salt their eggs, not to put cream in the coffee, not to put sugar in the coffee, not to take a double helping of their favorite food, uh, to skip dessert. Just something very, very little at each meal that nobody would know, nobody would notice just every day. Every day of their lives, do something that shows they master their own body and their own passions. Just a little something that nobody will ever notice. So you eat eggs without salt and you don't like them with salsa, but you do that at one meal. Just take half the sugars, just a little bit of fasting. And the other things that we truly can fast from are our um, actions, um, criticizing, um, you know, complaining uh, and and replace those things with gratitude. That sort of thing is also a fast.
3: Thank you, thank you, um, Mother Mary Maryam. Just one more question. Um,
1: Take okay, your time. Sure. It's okay, Mary. We're okay. We're okay. Go thank, ahead, sweetie.
3: Thank you, dear. Um, okay, so if 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 you if you have not been formally confirmed as a Catholic, you have you have to go through the class, right? I mean, you have to learn catechism and and you have to you have to be re-baptized or i mean how does that work i mean you, okay. you in other words you don't just go to church and start partaking of the Sabbath.
1: that's correct that's right. correct yeah that's correct i did not go through rcia that is the that is the main way for everyone the right of christian initiation for adults to learn the faith if it's taught by a holy priest or a teacher who is Faithful, yes. It's a good thing. Um, because I had been a, an evangelical for so long and read my way into the church for five years, the priest that helped me did not require me to go through RCIA. He only asked me to read a couple of sections of the catechism. The issue is that we would know our faith. You don't necessarily, if you've been an Anglican, need to go through RCIA. You can, but the main thing is is to read through the catechism to know... What Catholics believe and can say amen to it, um, but you need to be formally received into the church. You do not have to be baptized again if you've been baptized as an Anglican in the in the name of the. Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, if you've had a Trinitarian baptism, you are baptized. You do not need to be rebaptized. If Some people, when they come from uh, either Anglicanism or a Protestant uh, sect of some kind, they want to be conditionally baptized in case their first baptism was not valid. Maybe they were baptized as a baby and they didn't remember the formula. Um, So you can ask to be conditionally baptized in the event you are initial baptism wasn't valid but again if you're baptized in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit um, into the anglican faith you are baptized um, and it will be valid for the catholic church when i came into the catholic church i knew i was baptized in the trinitarian fa- formula in water the father and the son and the holy spirit i was not rebaptized, so that's a choice that you and the priest uh, perhaps could make together but you you want to be formally received into the church and um, under a priest or a bishop who knows that you uh, believe in the church and all its doctrines.
3: Okay. Well, okay, so then here's my next question.
1: Go ahead, Uh, sweetheart.
3: We're supposed to uh, always confess our sins um, so that they are forgiven, right? And, And so if you've lived a life without, you know, understanding exactly what was, um, you know, the, the Lord's, I mean, you know the commandments and you haven't committed any kind of murder or, you know, really terrible sin, but how do we remember all the sins that we've committed? You don't. To be, okay, so how do we confess our sins to be yes. forgiven?
1: You simply need to confess, when, you, if you come into the Catholic Church, um, just pray again, prior to being received, you go to confession, and you re- confess the sins that you recall from your baptism on. You don't have to remember them all. That's impossible. If you were baptized as a child, just The sins of your life that you recall. Um, If you were baptized five years ago, for example, you'd only confess the sins since your baptism. So you just say, Father, um, if you go to confession, I was baptized as an infant and I've been an Anglican all my life and there's no way I could recall all my sins, but um, I. uh, You know, I've I've lied probably 20 times or I've um, been unkind. Sins are sins of omission and commission. So I have failed to help someone I should have helped. Things like that. And for you, um, they would not be mortal, Marion, because for sin to be mortal, And if they would be mortal, you can confess them. But in order for a sin to be mortal, it has three characteristics. It must be grave. Now, whether or not you've committed a grave sin, of course, I can't. know. you may know that. You may not. I don't know. But it has to be grave. Secondly, the person needs to know it's grave. And thirdly, be able to commit that grave sin of his or her own own free will not under force or fear knowing that it will separate him from god see and so whatever your sins are even if you've had some grave sins along the way um I, and i don't say you have not it, the It's not that St. Teresa of Lisieux said she never committed a mortal sin. It's possible to not sin mortally. But even if you had committed some grave sins, you still would not have the other conditions of knowing they're mortal and of doing them of your own free will, knowing that they'll separate you from God. So they would not be mortal.
3: Okay. Um, great. I'm, I'm sorry for taking so much time, and I want to oh, thank go you. go ahead. I, I,
1: we, we have more time if you have another question. It's not a okay. problem.
3: Well, yeah, yes. Yes. Um, is there any age limit to becoming um, a sister? Uh, in other words, someone who has completely wants to devote their life to the Lord and live um, in a communi- or community with other, uh, you know, contemplatives, um, because yeah. truthfully— um, you know, I I look at I've looked at all these things on the internet, and it seems like they don't accept people over 50. And I'm actually 63. You know, you sound so like I'm you're 60.
1: 20. You sound like you're 20, Marion. Um, most orders uh, have a, a age cutoff of 35 or 40. Most Contem- strictly contemplative orders that are not active normally will take older women 45, 50. Our age limit is age 18 to 118, and we tell everybody if you're 119 and you can keep the rule, we'll make an exception. There's no age limit with us. We are Benedictines. We're contemplative active, and you can go on our website, dear one, and um, uh, get our contact information. Send us an email. We'll send you a vocation packet, and I'd love to help you in any other questions you have into the church, Marion, look up the Coming Home Network International online, and they'll have books and videos from Anglicans who have come into the Catholic Church. You'll find some fellow travelers there that may be helpful to you. Thank you very
3: much. Okay. I love you. Thank you. Have a great Thanks day. Thanks
1: for calling, Marion. God bless you, dear one. And everyone else, we'll be right back. Our lines are open. Feel free to call in 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We'll be right back.
4: We stand at a crossroads in history. Thank you for helping to save the
2: culture. Jesus, I trust in you. This is Rick Paulini and Father Jacek Mieser. Mercy is the form that God's love takes when it overflows His divine life and pours out upon His creatures. It's a great message for Lent, but also for any time of the year. It's a message of hope. Tune in for Divine Mercy in My Soul, who will be delving into the Diary of St. Maria Faustina every Sunday morning at 11. And catch the Encore presentation every Tuesday evening at 8.
4: We offer several ways to view our programming grid, including at our website, thestationofthecross.com, and on our iCatholic Radio app. Just click the menu icon in the top left portion of our app and select the link to our programming grid. That's at thestationofthecross.com and on our free iCatholic Radio app for Android and Apple mobile devices.
1: Welcome back to Mother Miriam Live, Beloved. This is our last segment, and you are welcome to call in uh, with anything on your heart. Toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at, at com. I've been reminded to remind you, or to mention, um, the Life Funder campaign that LifeSite News so graciously set up for us on their website, lifefunder, one word, dot com, forward slash, D for David or daughters. D-O-M-M-O-I-H, Daughters of Mary, Mother of Israel's Hope. I'm just looking at it now for the first time today. We are just under 30% funded um, with 32 days to go. So um, the house we already have gained title to, um, we're already out of it. it's going to be our guest house there's no question about that but um, we need bigger facilities and we're already in touch with an architect to begin to build um, a small monastery or a big priory or something for us uh, to hold at least 40 women so we're making plans for that and we've been told we'll need five to seven million i have no idea what we'll need but um, as soon as we have plans we'll we'll uh, put together a little notice or a little brochure, and we'll we'll let everybody know what what we're hoping to do and see what God wants to do. If it's God's will, He'll provide. Uh, if it's not, we don't want it. It's so simple. The formula is so simple. What God wants, He provides for. What He doesn't want, we don't want. It's really no. That's why the scriptures say there's no disappointment in Jesus. Because if your His will is your food. That's all you want. And if it doesn't happen, then God doesn't want it. It's very, very simple. So Mother Teresa, um, I think, taught me that. So uh, it's such a freedom. It's so beautiful. Okay. We have an email from somebody who writes it anonymously and says, I just saw a video with the title, quote, there is no justification for using vaccines with aborted baby cells, Catholic nun, end quote. And this person says, in the video, I found a link to your website. How can a Catholic nun go against the teaching of the magisterium? Do you think one should view such a video? Whoever wrote this in, I'm the Catholic nun, uh, to which it uh, refers, and I have not gone against the teaching of the church, nor would I. I might go against at some times things that are happening in the church, error, and things that are being done that are against church teaching, but I will not go against church teaching. Um, I'm referring back to an article that John Henry Weston of uh, LifeSite News, co-founder and uh, editor of LifeSite News, um, put together uh, this past December 2020. And it says that it has to do with the um, church teaching on vaccines. And The article reads, a growing chorus of churchmen, bishops, bishops, conferences, individual bishops and priests has said that in the event that no alternative vaccine using ethically listed substances is available, it would be morally permissible for Catholics to receive vaccines made from the cell lines of aborted babies. See, these are um, if no alternative Using ethically listed, licit substances, which means uh, the vaccines that we would take with permissible permissible are using illicit substances, which are babies, aborted baby cells, Um, supporters of this positions invoke two documents of the Holy See. Let me read it from the beginning. A growing chorus of churchmen, such as bishops, conferences, individual bishops, and priests, has said, a growing chorus has said, in the event that no alternative vaccine using ethically licit substances is available, it would be morally permissible for Catholics to receive vaccines made from the cell lines of aborted babies. Supporters of this position invoked two documents of the Holy See. The first, from the Pontifical Academy for Life, is titled, quote, Moral Reflections on Vaccines Prepared for, from Cells Derived from Aborted Human Fetuses, end quote, and was issued in June of 2005. The second is from the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith and titled, Instruction... Um, Dignitas Personae on Certain Bioethical Questions. It was um, issued September 8, 2008. Both of these documents allow for the use of such vaccines in exceptional cases and for a limited time on the basis of what in moral theology is called remote, passive, material cooperation with evil. The aforementioned documents assert that Catholics who use such vaccines at the same time have the duty to make known their disagreement and to ask that their health care system make other types of vaccines available. It's kind of a contradiction. In the case of X, I I could say, yeah, I'll take the vaccine, but I don't agree with it. Why? Because it's it's morally illicit. But I'll take it. It little doesn't make sense. In the case of vaccines made from the cell lines of aborted human fetuses, we see a clear contradiction between the Catholic doctrine to categorically and beyond the shadow of any doubt reject abortion in all cases as a grave moral evil that cries out to heaven for vengeance And the practice of regarding vaccines derived from aborted fetal cell lines as morally acceptable in exceptional cases of urgent need on the grounds of remote passive material cooperation. To argue that such vaccines can be morally licit if there is no alternative is in itself contradictory and cannot be accepted for Catholics. Beloved, I fully, fully agree with this. If you um, need to look this up yourself and get the website and read it, go to um, com and then maybe a little plus sign and put in material cooperation with the vaccine. This will come up. Again, it was December 20th. Um, let me see the date again. It's in the... Um, I'm sorry, December 11th, 2020 is when it was written, and there's a full video by John Henry Weston, which you could watch the video instead of reading it. Um, one ought, to, I'm going to continue, one ought to recall the following words of Pope John Paul II. Regarding the dignity of unborn human life, the inviolability of the person, which is a reflection of the absolute inviolability of God, finds its primary and fundamental expression in the inviolability of human life. Above all, the common outcry, which is justly made on behalf of human rights, for example, the right to health, to home, to work, to family, to culture, is false and illusory if the right to life, the most basic and fundamental right, right and the condition for all other personal rights, is not defended with maximum determination, end quote from John Paul II in Christopher Daly's using vaccines made from the cells of murdered unborn children contradicts a maximum determination to defend unborn life. Um, I'm not going to continue this article, but I urge you to read it uh, from LifeSite News from December 11th, 2020. Um, And the title is... On the moral illicitness of the use of vaccines made from cells derived from aborted human fetuses. And if you read the article down, uh, you'll see that it is illicit, but acceptable if extreme cases. That makes no sense. Um, And at the same time, it tells us to not stop fighting to end abortion. It makes no sense. What we're saying is not against church teaching, beloved. We'll speak with you tomorrow.